0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of DDR, a podcast all about your favorite drow Drizzt Dowarden. My name is Justin, and in this episode, we'll be diving deep into part three of Exile, titled Friends and Foes. Discussing all of our
1: favorite plot points, characters, and more. My name is Jeffrey. Seeing as how we're huge fans of Dungeons & Dragons, one of the things that we're also going to be discussing is how parts of the chapter relate to the tabletop role-playing game that we all love to play. You know, it could be a spell that's used, maybe a trinket that's worn, or possibly even how a race appears that's used maybe differently in the game than in the book. Yeah.
0: Following along with the show is easy. Just grab a copy of the book, read the next part of the book, and tune in every week. But remember, we want to hear your thoughts, too. You can share your dim lights with us at driztonwright at gmail.com.
1: Or, better yet, be part of the ongoing discussion on our very own Drizzt Dunright Discord. The Discord invitation is linked in the podcast description. If you raise an interesting point, we might just bring you up on our show. You know, one of the things we love to do is to throw shout-outs to the mm-hmm. Discord. Totally. So, we did just get two new members. Wanted to say a big hello to DannyJ92 and Cybell73. Welcome to the Dim Light Squad. I know I've missed a few of you guys. If you've come and gone... I apologize. I'm trying to get you all in there. We love you. You know, we do have a bunch of different tabs as well in the Discord. So, you know, you can go in there yeah. and see a bunch of different things, like maybe some fan art that gets shared. Totally. I know specifically we had Valeria shared an amazing picture that her sister had drawn out with Drizzt standing next to her D&D character.
0: So cool. So cool. Ah. In fact, I, I saw she also posted it on a number of uh, um, Facebook. Yeah. Drizzt- uh, Facebook group since I had to like it on there too. Like it's such an awesome job. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've there. told you this, what implicitly, explicitly, but some of the uh, the of our listeners and people that follow us on Discord are also some of the people that run uh, Drizzt, Done Right, Dunright, uh, Done Drizzt Right, Drizzt uh like fan pages on the, right. uh, the Facebooks. Yep. yeah,
0: yep. totally. So it's yeah. always
1: kind of a fun part to know that our community like gets to be able to share things inside of each other, like you know, the yeah, no antics at the armor, which one we talked about wizards at the. Oh, I'm gonna butcher them all, trying to get them off the top of my head. They just started a new name on the page, but we have a bunch of oh, people that yeah run on here and also run a bunch of the social media pages totally. who actually allow us to post on their their web pages sometimes. So yeah. we we thank you for that for sure. Totally, totally. And then you know what? As much as we like to celebrate the works of Mr. Salvatore, everybody we love to celebrate our listeners as well. So get into the Discord, go oh, be part totally. of the ongoing discussion.
0: Absolutely, awesome. Well, Jeffrey, here we are, part three. That is um, out of five, right? We have five total in book two. I right? really
1: like the format, by the way. I'm not gonna lie.
0: I th- I think it's working pretty well. It like I uh, I already said on the Discord, planning each of these takes a, a lot more time.
1: It does. It does. Because but we're covering I think so we're many more chapters, so much more time, right. Than we right. would have. And you know, I, I really enjoy being able to sit back and go through these with you. As oh, yeah. well as being able to sit back and kind of craft the fun of it for the listeners. I'm, I'm, you know, I am I feel that we're still being able to put out a fun episode and, and get into Absolutely. all the fun and detail, but by looking at it in parts, I don't know, the well, speed of it is something I'm enjoying.
0: Well, I, I, I think it makes a lot more sense because people can, and we as well, can read like a chapter a day and still miss like a day here or there and keep up on this pace, right? Before it was one chapter a week, like... That's a snail's pace. I don't know. It was. Seems to, it was. <laughs> it seems to be working out really well. So if anyone has any suggestions for that, um, uh, any comments about our new format, just let us know. Again, get on that Discord page and let us hear
1: them. So, Jeffrey, what have you been doing lately? Well, you know, I took up the green apron, been making some coffee over at Starbucks, having a good time, learning nice. how to make espressos.
0: Uh, do you want to shout out your location so we can all come... Uh,
1: Get oh some, man, I don't uh, even know what the store number it would be for that. <laughs> but uh, you know, if anybody is in the Maryland Baltimore area, by all means, shoot a message over into our Discord. Find me up, and I'll let you know where you can come get an espresso poured by the, uh, one of the hosts of the show. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> we'll do a little interaction awesome. moment. They can come that get that
0: would be awesome. <laughs> hey, I might come down, <laughs> right?
1: But uh, no, it's been it's been fun learning the, the the science to coffee. I guess you know the little bit more of the bourgeois yeah. class of. Yeah. Uh, of coffee, because I've always been the, uh, you know, Folgers in a cup, drink it black kind of guy because uh, right. watchers yep. tells oh. me that there's a high fat content in my creamer and the stuff that makes the coffee taste wonderful. So I get used to yep. just drinking it black because at the end of the day, it's about that coffee, uh, that caffeine, right? caffeine. <laughs> caffeine, yeah that, that go-go juice. <laughs> well, it, the people well, on YouTube you what, are like, looking, drinking it right now.
0: Hey, guys. Nice, nice. No, I mean, if you can make a good cup of coffee, it doesn't need all that stuff in it all the cream and sugar you don't need that um you know i find that when i'm out camping yeah you're making folgers coffee right and it definitely needs something (laughs) something to cover up that burnt flavor that you have going on there but um no a a nice cup of french press uh freshly ground coffee goes a long way in the morning so that's usually what i'm actually
1: drinking the antigua blend right now from starbucks and it comes with a uh like a very light, refreshing taste on the back so you don't get the bitter part of the coffee. You get more okay, of the, like, yeah. uh... Yep. It's not a blonde roast, but it's considered a medium, but it has oh, more of a blonde right. roast flavor to it where it comes off cleaner on the palate with a little bit of a citrusy taste.
0: Nice,
1: nice. Yeah, it's cool. So that's for that, nice like, you know, I kind of flooded this one with a little bit of caramel macchiato uh, <laughs> creamer. <Ooh>. But normally <laughs> it's just, you know, a cup of that's nice and smooth on the tongue in the morning. It's not too acidic. Nice. That's awesome. What have you been up to, buddy?
0: Well, you know, work is work. Uh, I have a qual book, a qualification book, where I need to get 320-ish signatures. Oh, I'll sign so, it for you. <laughs> well, from people that are qualified themselves to say like, oh, hey, he did okay. that job. Sign, you did it correctly, right, you know, and they right. hit it and 320 of them. So I'm hoping <laughs> to be done by like January or so, but this week I racked in my first breaker, which is like super awesome but yet super scary because throughout (laughs) training the whole time bless you uh throughout training they talk about how like when you rack these in they will explode and kill you and hurt the whole time you're dying and it's just like okay but um, you know it's (laughs) as long as you're following the procedure it's perfectly safe it's perfectly fine it's like the uh the plant that i'm at has been open since like late 80s early 90s it's two units and um What is it? They had one breaker explode when no... Oh, no. I guess it was two, wasn't it? There was one that exploded when no one was around, and another one exploded that was close enough for other people to hear, but they weren't actually near it. And it's just like, ooh, yeah, that's kind of
1: scary, but... That is two more (laughs) explosions than I would ever want in uh, my nuclear reactor. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't... To be fair, it wasn't in the nuclear reactor. It had nothing to be nuclear-related.
1: Way more (laughs) dramatic when I say it that way. So you're saying there were these loud, giant explosions?
0: Well, just like any kind of little short. I think the one was caused by like just over time. Again, they're like over 40 years old or close to 40 years old, I guess. Over 30 years old. Um, And after so long, some of the wires just vibrating in place eventually wears through the insulation on the wire and creates a short. After so many years, you know, and then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, just bursts into flame and creates a big plasma ball. And But again, again, two out of the past 30-plus years, perfectly safe normally. All right? That's one of the reasons why, like, when you pull them out, you inspect it to make sure it's not doing that sort of thing. So that's why it's in the procedure now to make sure that that doesn't happen again.
1: When do we mention your uh, your power plant mascot, Baba, the two-headed goats? One ba for each head, huh? <laughs> We just we just forget the fact that he walks around grazing on the uh, clover all day. No, no, see, we, don't, we don't
0: talk about the two-headed deer that we have. Around. We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> all right, awesome. buddy, what do you say
1: we go kick this show off?
0: Yeah, let's start this off with the insight check, all right? That's where we are going to roll an insight check to investigate the inner monologue of Drizzt. So this week, this uh, insight check, uh, it started off with "to live or to survive," and that just really like resonated with me. That that line—it's
1: actually the uh, name of my nineteen eighty nine heavy metal album, "To Live <laughs> or to Survive." And that 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 uh, small that short quote
0: just kind of resonates throughout the whole insight check. Uh, so let's take a little further look into this. So after a life in Menzoberranzan, Drizzt thought life to be only about survival, right? Uh, but that survival instinct is ultimately what almost killed Drizzt when he was mm. in the Underdark by himself before in Stone, that is. Right. All right. When he was uh, just he- the hunter. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That survival instinct, the hunter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so then after spending some time in Blingdenstone, we still got a little bit of that um haunting presence of the hunter in him, kinda sneaking out a little bit. But after spending some time in Blingdenstone, Drizzt learned that life was um more than just about survival. It was about living. It was about laughing. I almost said it was about loving you know <laughs> like going in it's a julia roberts movie right it was about living laughing and working which makes sense deep gnomes they love to work they're they're yep. going out they're mining like that's part they really of their do lifestyle
1: like, crisscross with the uh <clears throat> the snow white <laughs> yeah. Because, yep. I mean, they love the gemstones, Wh- right? And they Whistle have. So, while shit. you work, yes, right? That's what They're, I'm saying. That you know, like, not just the, you know, the idea of looking at it, but just that passion that they have for totally. the stone and the way yep. that they look at it, the reverence. Absolutely. Yeah. And then they wake uh, up in the morning, hi ho. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could just see it. I could see it.
0: Absolutely. Totally. Uh, life, it was about sharing your gains and sharing the pain of loss because. Really, like, they're living in the Underdark here. Loss is inevitable. It's going to happen. So that was all part of life. That that was all part of what Drizzt had learned um, while in Blingdenstone. And when Drizzt left Blingdenstone, he left with high hopes. This time, as he entered the Underdark, he wasn't accompanied by the hunter. You know, may, maybe the hunter, this merciless being that's taking shelter in Driz's subconscious maybe it's still lurking in his subconscious uh but now he's being accompanied by someone that would bring laughter and meaning into his world of course he also
1: has guenavar right interesting thought what do you think that you know having known now the the mind of drizz look well different than than Drow, right um as he's progressed, that that hunter that he mentions there, it's put at bay, kept at bay by the friendship that he has, the love with Guinevere, and the same companionship he finds with Belwar. Do the other drow just never find that? They all also have maybe this, uh, you know, hunter inside of them. But eventually, being surrounded by all the perils of Menzo Baronsen, it takes over and wins, and they're never able to find that light and love in their, oh. their world so that they become their hunter, which isn't as good as Drizzt's hunter because right. you know, unparalleled. But do you think that maybe it's the, like, the corruption or the tainting of their, not soul, but you know what I'm saying, their character? Right. That's and interesting. But Drizzt is able to find this ray of hope that maybe if he never found Guinevar he would have been overtaken by it by himself. Like never would have been pulled out of it to go to Blingdonstone in the first place. Right. Does that make sense? That's
0: interesting. No, I, I I think I understand what you're what you're asking there. No, that that is very interesting. And the first other drow that comes to mind that might that could possibly be battling this a similar type of situation would be Vierna. Being right. some, somewhat similarly wired to Drizzt. Um Yeah, does she have also an in, an inner hunter? Right, that is, right. Because we, we constantly did see her of,
1: turn away from the right. you know, feelings, yeah. the emotions. That's
0: very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but th- that's very interesting to think about. The idea that all the drow are kind of like, at a certain point, maybe the academy, right, is right. where... That brainwashing the brainwashing and everything sets yeah. in, and kind of takes over, and the other drow is left behind in the subconscious and kind of yeah, that's that's really cool.
1: <laughs> I didn't plan that, by the way. It just came up when you were talking, and I was like, you know, that is a neat comparison that he thinks it's kind of like his own humanity being stripped away right. and given away to the base urges and needs of the hunter, and it's going to consume him. And we'll touch back on that later when I get to my my dungeon delve, because I do look into some of the parts of this chapter cool. a little awesome. deeper, but is that something that is like, um, you know, to everyone and it's not maybe so specific right. to Drist.
0: Yeah. I don't know. That's very interesting. Hey, if, uh, if anyone's listening to this episode, <laughs> jump on that discord and let us we know what know, you know you're
1: listening. I see the staff. <laughs>
0: someone's listening, unless everyone's just downloading and never listening to
1: us. We're going to get email that are like, all I do is press play and walk away. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Didn't even know that was the status of a show. We're a press play and walk away. Ah,
0: That's what we should title this now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's the uh, insight check. Let's go ahead and jump into the next part of the show. The drizzed. The Drizzt, it's the part of the show where we take a look at the next part of the book and we give you the Drizzt of it. So, chapter 12, titled Wild Wild Wilds, Wilds Wilds Wilds, rather, uh, Drizzt and Belwar are now exiled from Blingdenstone, and they're scheming as to what their first steps should be in their new, inv- uh, new adventure. They decide that it would be best to construct a fake campsite that is meant to lure Driz's family away from Blingdenstone and then head west. Basically the opposite direction of Menzo-Berenzon. Get as far away as possible, as quickly as possible. They travel for at least a ten day. Well, within the region that Belwar has ventured out in. Well within the region that uh, Belwar has ventured out in. He's already been this far out, right? Uh, yeah. But he's soon to be... Samwise Gamgee in The Fellowship of the Ring. If I take another another step,
1: I'll be as far, you know, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about. That's good. I like that. Yeah. He's right Uh, at the limits of his. Yeah. And then everyone will be a new, new measure. Right.
0: Which total, total uh, sidestep here. I once saw a YouTube video of The Fellowship of the Ring. But every time Samwise Gamgee takes a step, it replays that whole scene. It's like if I take another step, right, I'll be. Right. It'll be like the furthest from home that I've ever been. I've ever been, and it's like it was like nine and a half hours
1: long, or something like. Uh, that. Anyway, with all reverence towards that movie, it was a huge part of my my coming of age, whatever you want oh, call me it was Love love those movies, bro. When people lampoon those movies, there's just so much material, and it's great. It's it's so much. It's hilarious. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Go
0: ahead. So. <laughs> Uh, for those uh, 10 days, uh, that one 10 day, I should say, they're swapping stories. Belwar's stories usually consist of the type of ores that were harvested from the cavern that they're currently walking through, right? Um, while Drizzt is sharing stories from his day's training with Zacnafane. Uh During their travels, Guinevere kept the perimeter safe while traveling and sometimes uh, even while bedding down for the night. One night, Drizzt formulated a plan to prank Belwar and com- commanded the 600 pound panther to lay down and fall asleep on Belwar.
1: Belwar I mean, commanded could, is like a strong term there because I feel like just, he suggested it and su- Gwen kind of yeah. smirked, like, mm-hmm, yeah, man. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: but Belwar could only release muffled shouts from underneath all that fur and muscle. <laughs> And Drizz acted like he didn't want to disrupt their playtime, and it was right. just such a fun little window into, um, in their in this dangerous journey through the Underdark.
1: Right? Just I love how so like comical. he has those thoughts, and it shows you that, but he completely deadpans it. Yeah. So he says this fun, playful moment, up and walks in like, "Oh, yeah, uh, you you guys are having fun." No, I would not, okay. I, you know, I wouldn't want to, you, you, you just go about whatever you're doing. I'll just, I'll leave. Don't worry. And like, you know what I mean? Like you were like, wow, this stoic drow. And inside he's like, yep. ah, ha, 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 ha. he's laughing raucously. <laughs> Love it.
0: A few days later, they stumble upon an open cavern filled with crimson spitters. Baruchis.
1: Is Drust that how has, you say it? That's not how that, I
0: read it. That That's how the, my audiobook pronounced excellent, it. Excellent. Excellent. I was so wondering, because for me, I, I was like, baruki. Baruchi? Bar- like, I, I mean you know if I only read it I probably would have thought Baruki but yeah, yeah the my there audio is something book
1: anyway. fun in my head about Baruki and this giant thing you're going to get to yeah, coming yeah, around yeah. like a uh, Studio Ghibli yeah like, you know like technically
0: an- Studio Ghibli but <laughs> See yeah. <the> <laughs> yeah
1: but like the animation of this giant thing coming along No, no 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 just made me <laughs> Baruki no for years
0: <laughs> I called it Studio Ghibli and then it's just like I look online it's like oh People apparently say it's Ghibli, so okay. Yep, and that's how you problem. know
1: you're a noob, because everyone's
0: like, <laughs> uh, it's Ghibli, jerk. So they get to these Baruchis, and Driz had no idea what they were. So Belwar was quick to show just how deadly the mushrooms were. Um, he also informed Driz that worm like creatures called Grubbers usually lived amongst the Baruchis, but you know, Grubbers are basically just huge, docile worms. This information was, of course, Belwar's response to Drizzt's prank with Gwen the other night. In reality, these worms were very territorial. The enormous worm almost ran down and spread Drizzt across the cavern floor like wily e. Coyote getting run over by an <laughs> acme truck. <laughs> they made their escape to a tiny dead-end corridor where Belwar cut through the stone to an adjacent passage. A few days later, the Drow and the Zwervernebeli encountered a green glow down a side tunnel and couldn't help but investigate it. It was an underground lake of acid, probably the result of a failed wizard's experiment. Because they, they, they both were under the impression that like acid isn't naturally occurring. Like why would this? But in reality, I mean, it, it kind of is. <laughs> Maybe not in that concentration. <laughs> Science! Uh, so while making their way across the narrow walkways above the acid lake, all exits were suddenly cut off by these drow bird like people yeah. called corgis. Yeah. I mean, corbies. What? Who? Every time I read Corby's, I could only think Corgis. And I'm just like imagining all these like humanoid dog type creatures. And I'm just like, <laughs> that doesn't With seem as hindquarters. <laughs> it doesn't seem as scary, but yeah. I mean, yeah, the, those, those things were terrifying
1: looking. Uh, I so they admit, were... as this played out, I originally had an idea of like those people from Kong, you know, that are dressed like a uh, very cave Oh, cave-ish. right. And, uh, And I was like, but they're bird-like people, right? So they're probably going to be flapping and flying.
0: So go ahead.
1: Continue (laughs) to see what happens.
0: So they were going to have to fight their way out of this situation, right? there were... were, I mean, it it was a terrifying situation. Here they are. Narrow, narrow bridges sort of over top of this lake of acid. And these bird people squawking around yelling, Doom! Doom! And I'm just like, oh, this is so creepy. Uh, Then we... I guess that's the end of chapter twelve. We move into thirteen, uh, titled "A Little Place to Call Home." Uh, Drizzt is overtaken by the hunter, uh, and he ran from. Oh no, they actually battled at the end of twelve, didn't they? There was a whole battle.
1: Toward the end where, of it, because like, you, cause you right, see, yeah. War is like, "Come on, buddy, you can do it." Yeah, I
0: just, I just totally just like cut medicines. that out of here. I guess that was an option for a, for a. Um, uh, dim light, and so I didn't want to step on the toes too much. But, yeah, there was a the whole battle where Drizz was, like, being careful. He didn't want to kill them, right? He was attacking them, right? with
1: the flats of his blade. He right.
0: He realizes. he was, like, defending himself rather than yep. assaulting. I think
1: at one point it mentions that Belwar is on, like, foe number six or ten, something like right. that. Right. And then he and notices that Drizzt is still fighting the first Hasn't
0: deck. dropped one, right? Yeah. And it, it took... Uh, what it took for Driz to start fighting back.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh because it's a tough one, but go ahead. Well, well like Guinevere got thrown into the acid. Uh not quite thrown. So you remember, what? it was it was something like out of a Mad Max uh, type future where those little gas guys go and do crazy stuff from Cardinal. Oh right. This this bird person at the top of this giant cavern. That's right. Grabs just a like... rock and just jumps. Just dive-bombed. I forgot about that. Right through the bridge. And evidently it's like this this ecstasy-filled uh, suicidal fervor that they get into. So, like, <laughs> doesn't matter whether or not it's going to hit. They're so exalted and over-the-top about the fact that yep. they're, they're dive-bombing that they're like, woo! And they have no other care for anything else in this world other than dive-bombing with that rock as right. it goes down. So it catches the bridge, and Guinevere is like, you know it's like a uh, cats on a on a marble what are you floor, gonna do yeah and whoop, oh yeah down off the side into the acid right then Driz notices because his pocket the figurine smokes and he just that's where he just gives in kind of because he's yep, fighting that's... off that turn of the hunter yeah because he doesn't want it he doesn't want to give in really he, like he doesn't want to give up control
0: right but that's where the hunter does take over
1: yeah, well, and... once his rage gets like he realizes like again, there's like so many times where like when Dr- when when Dr- when Guinevar is hurt or when someone Drizzt cares about is in peril that that switch clicks and he just goes.
0: Yeah, totally, and yeah, he he just he just destroys a number of them, only enough from what I remember to
1: basically get out of the situation, right? They, well, at um... first he's like just a buzzsaw, chewing them right, off. and then but... when he makes the jump. And I'm sorry if I'm jumping on the part oh, no, when he makes the jump there. across from the bridge to Belwar. Then it, uh-huh. they just cut their way out, right? That's but what I mean. Before that, yeah. he is literally just standing there, like like a like a like a blender. <laughs> uh, that was my noise for the quick cuts for the people who aren't watching. And uh, as I make the <laughs> hand motions, so he's just blur of blades, just, just basically right. like trying to kill everything in front of him.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, eventually. Like, I, like you said, the hunter takes over. They, Drizz jumps over to this other, uh, bridge with Belwar and they make their escape. They have to like break through, um, this door at the end of the bridge to get, through. not, not an actual door, but a bunch of, um, Corbys are standing, uh, at the end of the bridge and they have Do. to cut through Do. them. Do. It was so terrifying. Do.
1: Do. <laughs> and, uh. Just, yeah. Then repeat we repeat the entire time we talk about the Corgis in the background.
0: Right. Do, do, do. The Corgis or the Corby's. <laughs> no, the Corgis now. Do, do, do. <laughs> and, uh, then they, they're running down the corridor, running from the Corby's and they run for quite a distance before, um, before they end up stuck, uh, you know, with, um, Belvoir's in tow. Like he's way far. I, I feel like he's way far behind. Drist is just taking off. Um, And confident that they were far enough from battle, Belwar had to break Drizzt's rage to get him to stop. Uh, Drizzt was embarrassed at how he started the battle, using the flats of his scimitars, right? Mm -hmm. But he was equally perturbed by the fact that the hunter was still lurking within his head. This was the first time that Drizzt had the hunter sneak up on him since the basilisk fight, the fake basilisk fight, I believe, as, as far as we know, right? Right. Um... Then he remembered the instance that triggered his rage. Guinevar, uh So reluctantly, he, uh, but eagerly, Driz summoned Gwen to make sure she was okay. She oh. was alive, yeah. but she had some very serious wounds. I just feel like, I mean, you know, like she had some skin showing, like just like fur just all burned off. that the thing off. he
1: said was like more burned skin showing than fur. Right. Yeah. So like you're talking like a, eye, eye hanging eye from its socket. Yep. <laughs> that, that eye, because the, the one is what was it like? Uh, it said it was like uh, the damage blurred it, like covered it or something like okay. that. Like I can't remember. But yeah, like one eye gone, all this fur just patched its skin. It's like yep. it's, it's basically like when the gremlin gets you know thrown into water and starts to bubble and change and all this funky stuff happens and it's like right oh man my heart broke at that moment picturing yeah, gwen totally in, in that kind of distress
0: absolutely i don't know how i left that from the drizz i don't know what i was thinking <laughs> excuse me um so yeah she had some very serious wounds so drizz dismissed her and promised to allow her to rest for a few days before summoning summoning her again because, you know, there is an understanding here that uh, her home, the Astral Plane, is a place where time is different and she seems to heal faster there. So um, that's the whole point You think it's like
1: she seems to heal faster because, like, time moves faster there. So, like, a day here is a month there. So, really, she's in pain the entire time, going through the entire process you need right. to heal oh, at man. regular time for right. her whole existence. But Drizzt is right. like... 24 hours. Yeah, no, that should do it. Click Time's Up. Like. <laughs> it's like
0: Now I don't have to listen to a complaining panther for a month. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: so if you've got any it's other terrible. questions about time travel and how it works, you can go ahead and fire <laughs> that email over to drizdunright at gmail.com. <laughs> uh,
0: so after um, Driz sends Guinevere back uh, to her home, we get a glimpse as to what Zombie Zacnafane has been up to. Uh, the Wraith understood that the camp that Drizzt and Belwar set up was just that. It was a setup, right? Uh, But he remained there anyway for several days in the off chance that Drizzt would happen to return. Then back at House de Worden, Malice uh, continues to control the wraith. Apparently, the zombie acts on its own accord based on its own emotions, but Malice is able to send commands from a distance every once in a while. Uh, so, Zach Dufain continued to inspect the campsite and the surrounding corridors. He deduced that Drizzt, and possibly someone else, had moved west and must be a ten day or two ahead of him. No matter, Zach doesn't need to sleep. Or rest like he's just he's the energizer bunny he's just going and going and going (laughs) can can we talk about
1: the sudden humor that's made its way into this book i believe when we find zach and he finds the encampment it's it's expressed that the the bedroll is being sliced up by his swords like some kind of edward scissorhands approach where like the bedroll is like yeah all over like you know zach's zombie head and he's like I can't cut my way out of this. I don't know what to do, and it's like, really, it's such a funny image to me. Like, you know, something from like uh, the Friday the Thirteenth movies when they got past number seven or whatever, and leaned into okay, like yeah. the humor right. of the movies. You know, right. like, did he really go grab that guy in the sleeping bag and start swinging it off the tree? What? <laughs> you know, or did he beat that guy with another guy? what? It just made you stop because it's like, wait a minute, is Zach the fame? like He knows it's it's set up. But instead of just nudging it with his boot, he's got to throw it up in the air like the world's largest pizza and start stabbing right. it like, okay. <laughs> All right. And then we go back to Drizzt and Belwar
0: where they find a curious creature like none that Drizzt had ever set eyes on before. It was
1: it's a, a That's human. a good lead up. You swerved me. I thought we were going somewhere else, but yeah, I like it. <laughs> A like
0: human, it. the first human, right? driz's mm-hmm. first human. Uh, Belwar knew this human. Um, living alone in the Underdark was probably a wizard. Didn't know this human, but he knew that most humans that live in the Underdark are going to be wizards, right? <laughs> Sorry, I worded that really <laughs> poorly or said that really poorly. So, yeah. This I never realized most how likely much a wizards
1: wizard. and homeless people have in common. You know, you, you might find both of them in large open underground caverns muttering to themselves a danger to others around them. Like
0: maybe not all wizards, but definitely this one, right? Like yeah. this one just seems <laughs> like this
1: one uh, a little this unique, his, man. uh yeah, a little off in the head there. Uh, I couldn't help but picture it as like a cinematic again, and then try to think like, right. who would you cast to play like this type of wizard? And like, I, I would like to see like a, a Willem Dafoe type over the top. Oh yeah, totally. Oh man, he would be run. Yeah, he'd be
0: great because you need this that wizard.
1: angular face,
0: yeah. Oh, totally. The aged
1: look, you know. He can't have anybody yep. too young, and it's like just he, he would need able to mutter, rant, and yell at the same yeah. time.
0: He would need a wig, maybe a, a, a scraggly beard, and... Oh, yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, they knew it was a wizard, so they probably should be careful, right? Despite this, Belwar allowed Drizzt to interact with the human.
1: Yeah, uh, the let him go, what's the worst that could happen?
0: Yeah, it was just like, ah, yeah, I mean, trial by fire. Uh, the the interaction uh, went south, ending with the wizard disappearing and casting a spell Similar to Fireball, that's that's how I interpreted it. That's what it sounded like. Uh, Belwar and Drizz dove into a nearby stream to avoid the explosion. When they emerged, they decided it would be better to run than to continue to deal with this random encounter. Right? That's smart move. Sometimes that's a very smart move, right? Yeah,
1: underutilized like, in D and D. If we're oh, being
0: totally. Honest. Like when you guys ran into that ice salamander thing that I threw at you, I was just like oh, shoot, this thing is going to kill them. And you're just like, guys, we need to run. It's like, yes, good. (laughs) Uh, So they traveled a couple days after this encounter. They traveled for a couple days to a three-chambered cavern with an underground lake. Belwar immediately thought it looked like home. So here there was plenty of clean water, plenty of food in the form of plants, mosses, fish, and best of all, crabs. A huge 12-foot crab emerged from the lake. Like, that would be terrifying. That would be like, nope, this isn't home. No way.
1: This is Starship Troopers. I'm out of here, you know? Instead, these these five-foot-tall, for the gnome individuals decided to go attack this 12-foot-large crab, and they know, hey, let's uh, red lobster this up. Give me a side of butter, and we can eat crab for months. But where are they getting the butter?
0: (laughs) Got to oh. get those Rothe back, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, another totally
1: unscripted point: if you would like to cheer upon those jokes, <laughs> send the email to drizdunright at gmail.com. Go ahead, Justin.
0: Or you can just clap. Just give us give us applause. <laughs> we'll hear it. Send a me. video of you clapping.
1: <laughs> that would make our day.
0: <laughs> Belwar and Driz spent the next few days at the lake setting up their new home and eating crab. Not crabs, crab, because they got one of the 12-foot
1: crabs. I imagine they all- had that, that forest Gump attempt to crab. Crab soup, crab gumbo, crab shrimp, <laughs> crab and rice. It was just crab in every imaginable just way you everything, could think of. Crab right? on crab, etouffee, three ways.
0: <laughs> uh, so meanwhile, Zach Nafane reached the field of Baruchis and the grubber. Since he didn't need to breathe, he walked right through. And when the grubber attacked, he jumped on the oversized worm, much like a Fremen riding a sandworm, and sliced into its thick hide. Jeffrey, please tell me you know what a Fremen is.
1: Yeah, no, it's in Dune. Shut okay, good good, two, good, good, Dune, good, good, good. good. 2 coming up. <laughs> yeah. Last November, no- we're going to have to have a watch party for that. Oh, totally, totally. I loved the first one. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> All right, when, back with when Dr- Zach sorry. got to this worm because he levitates, right? This is what they did. Uh-huh. Right, he jumps yeah. up, levitates, and then plops down his back. All I can think is, it's like this thing made Driz be like, "Nope," and then like cartoon skidaddle out of the right. way. And then Zach is like, "Nah, I shall levitate about twelve feet." Yep, Yep, twelve feet looks it's... good. And then as it comes under me, wait for it, drop and kill it. Ride this thing. Yeah, I'm yep. gonna ride Didn't this thing to its death. even yeah. take a, like a, a pause or a beat. Just did it. Just did it. Yep. <laughs> and then back with Drizd and Belwar, same hook guy horror, had to fight his way out of a bedroll that he knew was a, tr- a ruse. But
0: <laughs> rubber gone. <laughs> so then back with Drizd and Belwar, a hook horror stumbles into the cavern. That would be terrifying,
1: but yeah,
0: I mean, something's different about this thing. Drizd expertly snuck up behind the creature and began to expertly. Again, expertly. Take the ten foot monster down. In an but
1: expert-like fashion.
0: <laughs> but to Driz's surprise, the creature's face was drenched with horror. Nice words. As as the creature spoke in Drow Please don't kill me. It's just like What? Hook yeah. horrors can talk? you're not you, right yep. <laughs> like yep. at first you're just like whoa this hook horror is like what then we move into chapter 14
1: like this titled, little shaman hook horror right like what's different about <laughs> this one like, what, like is this a general like we've seen hook horrors before what's going on
0: now i should say the voice that i used for the hook car is not the voice i would use for a normal hook horror. see i already know what's coming and so oh, i'm just like okay, okay. This thing that is actually what the hook har what turned into a hook is yes. that's what it would sound like. Okay, at but what would the hook in my sound head. like? Oh, I have no idea. probably and How do you know bird-like. it doesn't sound like that? Well, I'm thinking it would be more bird-like, you know, because they have like Fair. beaks and everything. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm not about to attempt that
1: <laughs> <laughs> on recording <laughs> without practicing. She's going to need you to give your best, uh, best improv shot at it.
0: <laughs> uh, next week, I'll improv that. <laughs> <laughs> chapter 14 is titled clacker hey turns out it's not a hook after all the creature oh, that's what you were saying <laughs> the creature actually used to be something called a petch. uh again that's how my audiobook
1: this whole time i was calling it. it a
0: peck right exactly <laughs> uh but this petch is uh apparently a gnome-like creature uh, but was transformed into a hookah by an evil human wizard. Hmm.
1: Perhaps no, the same one. No, you cannot trust humans.
0: <laughs> Perhaps the same no one that Drizzt and Belwar ran into Come just on, what days are prior. Like really, right? Uh, so Drizzt was sympathetic for the being and invited it to stay down below their home near the lake. Belwar grew <laughs> concerned that Clacker would eventually complete his metamorphosis from Petch into full hookar, but Drizd, having been through ten years of isolation, would not allow anyone else um, to suffer that same fate that he had to, right? Yeah. Uh, that night, Drizd couldn't sleep and eventually woke Belwar to a plan to hunt down the wizard that cursed Clacker and force the wizard to reverse the spell. Belwar warned Drizzt of the strength of the wizard, but never said no before he drifted off to sleep. Uh, right? Do you
1: remember the dream he woke up to?
0: Oh, shoot. Because
1: he woke up, and now I'm having trouble remembering if it if it was him having to kill Clacker or if he was dreaming that Belwar had to kill Clacker. Cause Clacker oh, yeah, because Clacker. Because Belwar was explaining to him when he fell asleep that basically if uh, Clacker completes his metamorphosis, then like one of you would have to kill him, and you'd you know, rather him stay out there. And, you know, be able to avoid him. Okay. Then to let him in here with us. And then if he turns, we, you have to kill him. And it's like, so Drizzt wakes up to this nightmare of like having to do exactly that. And that's when he turns to bell and he's like, bro, look, we got to. And then moves forward. Uh,
0: okay. Well, that yeah, that makes sense. That's some good motivation there, right? <clears throat> uh, so the group then set out in search of the wizard. They searched for about a 10 day when they came upon a cavern that had a shape cut out of the roof. Clacker informed Drizzt and Belwar that the wizard carries a tower with him. Carries a tower with oh, yeah, him. Yeah,
1: and when you say that, my mind pictures this wrong every time because it's a cutout of the cavern. But I always picture like it's punched through so there's an opening to the world above it because the cutout to the cavern, but that's not, not what it says. Oh, it's just saying the solid it, like, there's rock, an, right? yeah, like there's an indentation up there so right. you know that this tower moves in size. Right. Like, what? It's telescopic?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, like I said, Clacker informed Driz that the wizard carries this tower and, like, sets it up even where it doesn't fit, hence the cutout in the ceiling. Yep. So, for several more days, the group searched for the wizard, eventually finding a 30-foot-tall adamantine tower. Before they could make a plan. Can I Parker's... ask you real quick? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: When they said tower, how big were you thinking? Because I was picturing, like, the uh, Superman Fortress of Solitude Tower, like, big, big, big.
0: No, I wasn't thinking quite that big. I was thinking... Really? Like, okay.
1: It's no, no, like 30 no, feet wouldn't... to me strikes me as it's basically two stories. You it's a building, floor, right? You walk in on, right. the floor above it. Technically, you could have a third <laughs> floor because they don't have to be 10-foot right. floors, but...
0: Yeah, th- 30 seems kind of small to call it a, a tower, but... Yeah.
1: I mean, it does fill no. all the prerequisites. Don't get me wrong. It's just right. when you just said 30 feet, it strikes me as like, man, oh my gosh. What is that? In every movie we are like, I thought it'd be bigger. <laughs>
0: I mean, I guess it would be a tower if everything else around it is small, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe they mean <laughs> it in like just looks like a, like a, the crenulated tower when it goes right. up. The, I the, mean, like, you know, the corner of the castle just removed right. by itself. So as far as like,
0: like this... This sounds like the most stereotypical wizard tower in D&D, you know? Especially, like, it's magical enough that you can pick it up and walk it with you and then set it up wherever you want. Well, I imagine Um, it, it, I don't know about you,
1: I imagine it just shrinks to this little, like, -like onyx-like figurine. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, 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 I'm sure. Um, But, yeah, just, I don't know that you necessarily see many buildings that are over one story, in, in the Underdark. Know, yeah. Very often. I mean, I know like in Men's well, you, zone, in the you did cities, need to levitate than, up. Right. You did need to levitate up to get to the second story at least. But I don't know. I don't know.
1: Yeah, but I mean, that's in a big city. It's not like you're walking across the Underdark and you just came across the thatch village of the, the Pesh. Pesh? Right. Pesh? I don't know. Peshay? <laughs> Peshi, Peshay? Oh, no, no. The, the Joe Peshi. <laughs>
0: Uh, but yeah, what what I thought was interesting is this tower is made of adamantine, right? Wolverines. So it's just the strongest known metal uh, metal in this world, right? <clears throat> uh, but before they could make a plan, Clacker just started attacking the door. But yeah, of course, it was no new nu- it was no use because adamantine, right? Uh, worse though was the fact that the wizard now knew that they were there. Uh, Drizzt made his way to an arrow slit and just managed to hear an incantation from the other side. First, Drizzt um, threw a large rock up toward the arrow slit to intercept the lightning bolt that was coming out of it. Then he held Guinevere's stone. I thought this was so cool. Held the stone up to the arrow slit and summoned Gwen into the tower. Yes. And with Gwen in the tower, the wizard was quick to allow the group in. It's
1: just... So quick to surrender. What I love uh, is that he, he throws the rock up and intercepts the lightning bolt. And the wizard says something along the lines of, Oh, I hate when that happens. As if this happens on a semi-regular basis. <laughs> like, hold on. Hold on. This guy is such a bad wizard that he's firing off lightning bolts. Like, ah, I got myself again. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they convince the wizard to change Clacker back into a petch, But the wizard revealed that he killed a bunch of other petch
1: basically he like oh i should have killed him along with the rest of them but now clacker knew this he told this to drizden bellwar right but like bringing it back it, up you think just bringing advanced. it back okay. up absolutely okay.
0: brings that rage back you know and so and now he's a more powerful creature and everything before yeah, when he was first totally, changed to, to a hookar like, It was like
1: uh, the avengers when uh, thanos talks to star lord and star lord's like Murr! and just decides uh, to like lose his mind and try to kill thanos and messes up uh, the plan and then people get snapped yep. in half that part me so mad yep and it reminds me of that because it's like there's there's uh, there's clacker and he knows the plan yep. and then all of a sudden he just lost it just
0: and you just and destroyed you the plan, rational clacker.
1: thought because he's not a hook heart he's going right. through this thing and can't really help himself
0: right yeah so uh, then, yeah, Clacker ended up killing the wizard before the spell was undone. And it was just like, really,
1: Clacker? Ugh. In but... an ex- insanely graphic manner, by the way. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can't identify the wizard afterwards. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, so the group returned home, finding nothing useful within the wizard's tower. Uh, Belwar and Driz didn't speak it, but they both realized how Clacker's outbursts are uncharacteristic of Petch, but are more characteristic of Hookhorse, which is definitely concerning. Uh, Chapter 15 then starts with Matron Malice interrogating Jarlaxle for any new information that he has learned about Drizzt. Jarlaxle, of course, knows much, but discloses only a little to Matron Malice. The spirit wraith, Zachnafane, has been hunting for some time now, she recognizes that Jarlaxle does not intend on sharing anything more just yet, so she dismisses Jarlaxle and continued tuning into the emotions of the spirit wraith. The only thing she could do to control the zombie, right? Uh-huh. What's crazy then is Jarlaxle then went straight to Matron Bayon Ray and disclosed even more information than he did to Matron Malice. He informed her that Drizzt is heading west of Blingdenstone matron Banry's mind flayer friend was present at the time uh took that information and immediately sent out some sort of warning oh. to the area by projecting its thoughts like okay like as soon as i saw this i'm just like okay how many mind flayers are out there because you just totally <laughs> blew my mind with
1: a visual image of mind flare wi-fi <laughs> I hear it, I feel like it would go out, it would sound like Morse code, like,
0: beep, 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 beep,
1: beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Listen, Johnny, we're going to go and invade on uh, Tuesday at 4, okay? <laughs> One of those old-timey radios in the 60s. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them we got the destroyers parked on the sign. yeah? <laughs> Back at the
0: underground lake, <laughs> Drizzt has been calling home, um the underground lake that Drizzt has been calling home for a few days now. Zachnafein? finally arrived. He burst through the front door and started rampaging, only Driz was nowhere to be found. Zack's instincts were to wait, but Matron Malice was growing impatient. The wraith took off in the direction the group left, um, only for the group to arrive back to the lake house just a few hours later via a different route.
1: When so they the, saw the... the mindless, sorry, The mindless zombie knew better... Yeah, brown matron? totally. He totally did. He wanted sure there's to sit a lesson and to be wait. There. But Matron
0: Malice is getting impatient, so get out there and find him. But if, if she would have just let him sit, then things would have been different. Uh, so when they saw that their house was destroyed, they grabbed a few supplies and continued west to put more distance between them and Menzo Berenson. The trio reached a portion of the Underdark that seemed even more quiet than normal Underdark corridors, which must be saying something, right? Yeah. As a precaution, Drizzt levitated up into the stalactites in the ceiling of the cavern, only to be met with an illithid ambush. Mental energy rushed over Drizzt, incapacitating him and sending his scimitars to the ground. A portal opened in front of Belwar and Clacker, as more mind flayers emerged from it, I say more because there were, yeah, the ones, the illithids, That's mind flayers, in case you don't know. Belwar's, <laughs> I don't know. Not everyone. No, you're might know absolutely that. right to say that.
1: You're not everybody. You know, maybe up on the terminology as well. You're, you're, you're right. <laughs> uh, Belwar
0: was also stunned by the mental energy spells, but Clacker, having already been in, sorry, in. An unstable mental state seemed to be resistant to the mental damage. The blasts, however, um, eventually, you know, they were relentless, and the Hookhars eventually dropped him. Or the Hookhar eventually dropped. Uh, Part three of the book ended with Drizzt, Belwar, and Clacker being captured
1: by the Mindflayers. It's such a good cliffhanger. It's, I mean, <clears throat> it's neat it was to insane. See, <laughs> Like, up until this point, you've seen one Mind Flayer. And he's always been kind of demure and reserved. Yeah. Playing the role of uh, <clears throat> maybe companion, maybe underling, maybe master puppet to, um, you know, how <laughs> right? and then suddenly, like, they're involved. They're yep. very involved. And, you know,
0: one thing I wish we would have done... Um, back at the uh, at the beginning of episode one, or have another episode one, uh, the first episode for this book, Part I wish, one. yeah, I kind of wish we talked more about, uh shoot, you can't see it, uh, the cover of this book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you took the time to look at it, but the cover of this book is this scene. Is it? Cause yeah, it, where, Dr- where Dr- Drizzt is like up in the stalactites, okay. and there's one, two, three, four, five... Mind flares all right, like floating above or floating around with him there. Little over, which I'm just like, yeah, yeah. But it's just like, oh, we probably should have had another quote episode zero at the beginning of this book just to kind of like talk about the cover to talk oh, man! about the prelude so for
1: next book. Do you think that we should just put together a cobble little idea here that we look I, at the front of the book and try to guess what's about to happen or something I like that. I kind of think
0: we should do something like yeah, that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a and,
1: long episode. It could just be a pre pre book well, teaser. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a little bit of also, what do we think we're getting yeah. into? And we could also talk about the
0: prelude a little bit, which is, Yep. In episode one, I kept calling the prologue, but the prologue comes at the end
1: of the book. So I got that a little mixed up. But No, the epilogue comes at the end of the book. Epilogue, epilogue. What's a prologue? Prologue is at the beginning of the book. Before oh, is it? the dialogue. Okay. Because... You're sorry, thinking, but- though, of the prelude comes before that, I believe. Prelude, prologue, dialogue, epilogue. That is me just making that up, guys. If you are listening on the (laughs) the podcast, if you are watching, let me wave to you. Hey, guys. Go ahead and uh, tell me why I'm wrong. Shoot that into the email.
0: I'm looking right now. It is called a prelude. I don't know where the prologue is, though. But anyway, um, (laughs) in this book, it's called a prelude. Okay. Uh, So anyway, yeah, we should probably have an episode, quote, zero uh, at the start of each book just to cover that stuff. But anyway, that is my... The drizzed. let's go ahead and move into the Dim Light reel.
1: The Dim Light is where we cast darkness on our favorite parts from this week, and then Dim Light, all of our favorite characters, events, descriptions, and more. So for me, there really wasn't much of a choice for my Dim Light. I just went straight with Clacker. I was so drawn to this character, this this part of the book. I was. Yep. We'll get into it even more. So (laughs) at the at the end of chapter thirteen, we see Drizzt and Belwar come upon a hookhar, and you know Drizzt has engaged them before, so he understands that the best way to fight them is to use the element of surprise and then press that advantage. Yep. He moves with. The, he moves on the threat with such grace and right as he's about to dispatch the hook horror by driving his scimitars into that soft spot right between the creature's neck and collarbone it speaks now that's interesting for a few reasons the other hook horror that we met being he didn't even try to speak to Drizzt but this right. one this one begged for mercy in proper drow language and his first words are please do not kill me <laughs> that that uh that that's so crazy unique. so weird yeah. right like it really took me out of the moment when i was reading oh, yeah. it because i was like wait absolutely what? you said and then what what it's like
0: what you're a hook horror. why you why are you saying that right like, it's like <laughs> at first
1: it's like could the other hooker speak and it's just like Driz just fought it and we never found out like does he go home and he's right. like hey little hooker friends i was out you know hookah and some some drow over in menzo berenson and well had a it, had a hard hooker day it was a little suspicious when there was only one. I feel like
0: hookars travel in packs. I feel right. like
1: may- maybe not, but the, well, the last time,
0: the last time we encountered instance, them, it was a
1: lot of them, right? Right. When we <clears> met this one, it was already banging its claws off the rock. We see it like hitting the stone, like it's frustrating. Right. We don't yeah, yeah, know yeah. why, but that's how we meet it. The other hookar we heard clacking, right? And they were going right. to eat that that child and uh, all this stuff. Like oh, that. right, right, right. So it was a little different. But you're right. Now, seeing it as a solo should have automatically drawn some type of attention. Yeah. So then this takes Bell Warren's You know, it's a little bit by surprise and leads us into chapter 14. This is where the Hulk horror uses its halting speech in order to communicate, not as I uh, appear. I am Petch. And I know that because Justin said Petch, not Peck. Otherwise, I would have (laughs) said I am Peck.
0: Now again, like listening to the audio book, he said, "Petch." Right. Um, I should also say, listening to the audio book, it was extremely frustrating to listen to Petch speak.
1: Oh, uh, because it of very, all those, like, like I
0: uh, appear, and and the author or the author, oh, the no. um, audio book, the reader is very into into it, and I'm just like, okay, just just read it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, okay. I, it got to the point where I was just getting a little impatient with it. Oh, just like just all the what-. long
1: pauses yeah, and Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it just, uh, it got to me a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it comes with having children, and they do that pretty often, where they're just like, and then, and then, and then, and then, and I'm just like,
1: oh, Whoa just <laughs>
0: I sound like a terrible dad now.
1: But... <laughs> so this causes Belwar to literally gawk as he moves up to Drizzt's side and he quips that his hook is a bit big for a patch. <laughs> <laughs> Drizzt's confused. He's never even heard the word patch before, I don't believe. But <coughs> Belwar explains, Rock children, strange little creatures, hard mm-hmm. as the stone, and living for no other reason than to work it. Now, if he calls them strange little creatures... And Belwar is smaller as a deep gnome than Drizzt, who still isn't above five foot. I think he's like four and a half. Yeah. How little are Petch?
0: I feel like Petch would only be like a foot and a half or two okay. feet. We're about on the I same didn't page, look it up. I up. Yeah, I didn't look it up, but that's how, like, <sighs> I imagined him when as like... When we get like... to my
1: dungeon delve, you're going to understand. I wanted to look him up, but I couldn't because I was torn. <laughs> so <clears throat> Drizzt slips in the sly little quip that it sounds a lot like the surf Neblin. And Belwar is really not sure if it's a compliment or a joke. But, he continues, there's not many Petch about, and fewer still look like this one. Justin, could you imagine how much more difficult battles would be in D&D if suddenly the enemies would stop to talk to you?
0: Yeah. I mean... Oh, man. Especially if they weren't just random encounters, you know? Yeah. Like, sometimes I'll just, like, roll a die and then, like, look at a, do- um, a roll table and I'm like, okay, you run into four gnolls and you know just throw them in there but if it was like um what's the word i'm looking for if it was like thought about if i actually had intention with Mm -hmm. some of those encounters like of course like it's hard to do that with every encounter but if you did that more and it's just like what are the motivations of these creatures and everything yeah that would make it really difficult
1: I mean imagine I you come really up on like a, a squad of goblins, right? And all of a sudden they're like, No, don't no, do not kill little me goblin. I have little goblin family and I have you know, they have no <laughs> one to take care of them. If I do not come home, they I the fish enough that I'm going to feed them tonight. And there you are and you're like, Do I believe this goblin? Do I care? Now you gotta right. stop and think. Like the moral implications. I'm sure most most groups would happily stay little murderers, right? But I mean like but, I mean but if you don't kill them, then
0: you don't get the experience. And then Zach Nafane is going to get the experience when he kills them later on.
1: <laughs> so then the big baddie is going to have twice the experience. Right. <laughs> but you can live with yourself. huh? huh? <laughs> so Petch no more. The hook horror communicated to the two adventurers. Driz tried to ask what its name was, but the hook horror was only able to shake its head helplessly and say, Petch no more before actually leaning back to expose that soft spot we mentioned earlier that Drizz was ready to strike. Hmm. Drizz was suddenly not so anxious to kill the creature anymore. He's like, you, you can't remember your name? What happened? Drizz presses the monster. You must tell me what happened to you. And the hooker can only struggle to reply, wizard, evil wizard. Belwar and, and Drizz understood that a wizard had changed him. They've heard of such magic and Belwar lets it slip to the deep gnomes You know, they might have even used similar magic when infiltrating, oh yeah, no the Menzo (laughs) Berenzen. But not like this, like not towards this effect. And Drizz smiles at the comment because he realizes Belwar really didn't want to, you know, realize what he was saying, that's Drizz's homeland. Right. But he turns back to the monster and says, a pet you once were and some wizard changed you into a hookhor. He gets, true, pet no more, the monster replied. Then Belwar chimes in, and this is what I was talking about before. He says, where are your companions? If what I've heard about your people is true, pets do not often travel alone. Dead, said the monster. Evil wizard. Yeah, he
0: knew about it. Yeah.
1: So it's like he had knowledge, but it's like, I guess that's what you were saying. It just kind of boiled over because he's like evil human wizard. Like he knew there's a human, a wizard. He knew what it did. He still had that cognizance about him. Right. And the wizard then left you to your pains as a hook horror, Belwar said. He and Driz looked hard and long at each other, and then the drow stepped away, allowing the hook to rise. I wish you would kill me. The stone. The stone lost to me. And this is the part that honestly hits me the hardest in this exchange, realizing that the human wizard changed him into another creature, but that his identity had also been lost. Petch loved to craft and work the right. stone. But in his current form, the hookah is unable to manipulate and interact with the stone the way that it had always been able to.
0: That's why he was working at the stone and like click cracking yep. away. On. Oh, yep. my gosh. I don't think I realized that. Oh, that's what
1: I meant where I was like, oh, you come in, you don't man. realize it right away. Yeah, yeah. So this causes the former patch to be filled with such depression that he would rather the two newcomers had killed him than move forward with his new life. You know, the former patch actually realized and was able to understand what it had lost. It tangibly felt that loss and was filled with despair over life without that identity. However, Belwar could understand that. So I had once believed, he said. You are alive and no longer are you alone. Come with us to the lake where we can talk some more. The hook agreed and it began with much effort to raise its quarter of a ton Bulk from the floor. Amid the scraping and shuffling of the creature's hard exoskeleton, Belwar prudently whispers to Drizzt, keep your blades at the ready. Belwar and Drizzt continue to get to know their new friend. They even name him Clacker, and this helps give him an identity to their friend besides just the monstrosity that they see. However, Belwar is still very cautious because he realizes that the monster that stands before them is still a monster. Yeah. I mean, it says it's a quarter ton of boat. Could you imagine that tiny little patch we were both picturing? A foot and a half, two feet tall, whatever it was. Which we, you know, we know that from Belwar talking about them must be pretty small. Suddenly, it's 500 pounds and shaped so awkwardly different. Right. It would take a lot of... I feel like it would take a
0: lot of time for that creature to get used to where its limbs are, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can understand here where the, the wizard is yelling, like, you know, he's not a Petcher useless and everything else because are so small and diminutive and to right. the human wizard really didn't have as much value. But, right, he gave him this huge, huge, huge body, the strength. Look what I've done for you. I've made you this imposing creature. But he didn't realize right. he really took away the spirit of what made that petch a patch. Right.
0: Totally. One and, thing I have to say, like, uh, you're, uh, what did you, where is it? Where is it? Uh, they, somewhere in there you said like they named him Clacker that was almost my dim light <laughs> because, <laughs> because I feel like no matter the d d group yeah they always find some kind of odd creature a goblin mostly you yep. like usually and they capture them and they're just like hey let's call him
1: you know whatever <laughs> flip-flop the talking meerkat <laughs> under the bridge yeah <laughs> That's what we did. <laughs> wasn't a meerkat. It was, no, a, it wasn't a meerkat. It was, it a, was a mink, but, like, but yeah, flip it. flop. <laughs> so understanding what it had lost. This is where Belvoir could relate. He had lost his hands and now received the hammer and pick to replace them. The difference though, the difference is that Belwar could continue to do what he loved.
0: Right. Yeah. Whereas the former
1: petch would never again be able to communicate with the stone like it had before. Oh man. Beyond that, you see that Belwar cautions Drizz that it may not be long until the animal side takes over the former Petch, and they lose the ability to rationalize with it. And this is where Driz can relate with his new friend. His split personality with the hunter is actually something that he can see a reflection of when he oh, looks yeah. in the clacker. But Belwar cautions him not to see himself too deeply, because there's still magic at work here. Nature can't always be changed and eventually the hook horrors nature of their new friend will work its way to the forefront. And then they're going to have to be cautious of when that moment, you know, when it comes and right. this, this actually reminds me of the zombie shows. Like take anyone you want. Oh, walking dead zombie, Oh, zombies, totally. Yeah. Know, the friend, the loved one, whoever they get bit. And they're like, I can't, I just, I can't kill him. He's so nice. Right. And, and then they got to like, take him. Do and do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then all of a sudden they're yeah. like, we're just going to keep him till the last shred of humanity. Take, And then, you know, he eventually tries to bite somebody and they've got to kill him.
0: Yep. Or successfully bite someone, you know, and then you have to kill both
1: of them. Yeah, uh... now you've lost two. Way to go. Right. (laughs) what you get from procrastinating. Just fold the laundry and put it away already. Goodness. (laughs) All in all, I got to say that, you know, this part of the story was much deeper emotional analysis than I ever really expected to get into. It's it's weird, but then, you know, you take a deep dive into a book and then you find yourself looking at like this reflection of humanity and what it is and inside of it. And I guess what I mean is stay tuned to the dungeon delve and we'll get into it even further.
0: (laughs) Awesome. My dim light for this week uh, has to do with. Uh, two events that have happened uh, in this part of the book that just they had me cracking up uh, so I just had to make them my dim dim light and they were the pranks that happened right yeah Uh, so at the end of chapter 12 and Belwar just left Blingdonstone they're now adventuring throughout the caves again they set up a fake campsite uh, to shake off any drow that were following them uh, and they tried to make their way as far west away from Menzo Menzo Beranzon as possible right Along the way, we got a little bit of a glimpse into the party dynamic. Uh, Guinevere seems to have taken a liking to Belwar, as Belwar would often wake up to pins and needles in his extremities, as the 600-pound cat would fall asleep on top of him. Uh, Like, Could you imagine that? 600 pounds, Jeffrey. That's like like three Belwar. Like, how did he not die? That's more than three Belwar.
1: Like... I don't know how heavy gnomes are, but you're right. It's probably at least. He's a deep gnome. Like, I can't
0: imagine he's much more than 100 pounds, like, soaking wet, right? Right. Maybe with his armor on, I guess, if he has, like, the mithril hand and hammer. Right, yeah. Although they're light, so I might be overstating that. But, like, how did he not die? (laughs) Like, when that cat would lay on him. But anyway, uh, one night, Drizzt had this hilarious idea. Drizzt gave Guinevere. This idea to go lay on top of the Deep Gnome to the point where he was completely (laughs) pinned to the ground.
1: The irony for our YouTube viewers right now.
0: Yeah, there's the cat. Standing (laughs) all over my neck. That's what cats do. (laughs) Uh, So muffled yells for Drizzt came from underneath the cat while Drizzt, quote, returned from his patrol shift. Really, he was like right there the whole time. Uh, But Drizzt reacted to the situation in just a hilarious way. Like you said, it was just like deadpan, just like, Oh, you two are playing. All right. Well, I guess I'll go right. Belwar moaned that it was his turn to be sentry right from underneath his cat. Just like, okay, it's my turn. Like you can go
1: sleep, but come (laughs) back here, get your cat so I can leave. (laughs) But,
0: but Drizzt played it off like, ah, I'm not tired. You two can keep having your fun. And then went off to continue his patrol while Gwen then fell asleep on the restrained gnome. Uh, Belwar was not about to let this act go unpunished. As soon as he saw the opportunity, he struck back. So later in the chapter, Drizzt and Belwar make it to the cavern of Baruchis, a.k.a. those uh, scarlet spitters, uh, which just sounds terrifying. Uh, These fungi emit a spore that choke their victims to death if they are disturbed. Um, there is, however, at least one creature that doesn't seem to be affected by the spores. That is the grubbers. Uh, Belwar informed Drizzt all about the grubbers because Drizzt never heard of any of this. <clears throat> um, grubbers are essentially large caterpillars or worm-like creatures, right? Uh, just like from Dune, huge worms, maybe not quite that yeah, big. Yeah, <laughs> not that big, but yeah. Like, uh, probably
1: even smaller, I would think, than the, uh, Beetlejuice worms.
0: Yeah, I, I think he said they were like, uh, 10 feet long or, or tall possibly i forget something okay like that. 10 10 feet in one dimension uh whether it's length or height um but these worm-like creatures <laughs> it's gonna give you they, a
1: totally different worm if it's height
0: <laughs> uh, but these worm-like creatures feast on the baruchis and are belwar said peaceful enough uh as to as soon yeah the enough. two yeah uh, as the two carefully navigated through the baruchis, there was an odd shaking of the ground. And when Driz look o- looked over to Belwar to like, hey, what's going on? He, he turns and he sees Belwar just like bolting. Yeah, just like you could almost sp- hear their feet. Yeah. Just- He's oh. in a full sprint toward a small corridor, and Driz turns around to see the enormous gray worm. And he quickly draws his scimitars. I love that's to, his first yeah, reaction is to yeah. just like, all right, let's go. Because then he, he's just like, that's not going to work. He puts him back, and then he starts running in the opposite direction toward uh, Belwar, in the direction that Belwar is going. Driz made it safely to the corridor where Belwar was uh, waiting, arms crossed over his chest, and a, quote, serves you right smirk on his face. Uh, Belwar instructed Driz to mind where his cat sleeps or else Drizz would have even more encounters like this in the future. Driz like he wasn't even mad. I mean, like it seemed like he even enjoyed this yep, encounter. The back and forth, right? the buddy.
1: See, yeah. this is where like, if, if this ever became a movie, you would have like that condensed trailer part and it'd be the buddy <laughs> part right here.
0: You yeah. Know what I mean, oh, and totally. play, and
1: play like the, the Gags, or like you'd cut to it, and it'd be like some kind of the movie from uh, I don't want to say the word because it's a cuss word, so I don't know if that gets us. <laughs> the prank movie that everybody knows. With oh, Jerry I got gotcha, you, I got gotcha. yeah, 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 yeah. And it starts off like, Hi, I'm Belwar Disengulp, and this is, and he just starts launching into the pranks. Him and Driz play with each other, you know, like, oh, there's the, the panther lays down on him, and you know, the, the grub worm almost crushes Driz, and they're like, Bow, and he's just laughing, like, <laughs> in the corner. Everybody's having a great time, no, <laughs> yes, yeah, no so, I mean. Deal.
0: He enjoyed it enough that I wouldn't even be surprised if he like if Dre's purposefully ordered Gwen to go fall asleep on Belvoir again yeah. just to have another similar experience like well, this cuz i mean like he he's been in the underdark before by himself and right. he totally like missed out on this this whole like interaction with other people right yes. and so like um yeah
1: he loves it and he loves he's a hardened it. individual he is not a kind of guy who's going to go put in for like a petty manny petty Manny yeah, Petty, yeah, yeah. And get the cucumber slices on his eyes. Like, Drizzt is out there swinging scimitars at basilisks and having Oh, a totally. So yep, he expects yep. a certain kind of rough back and forth. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And like, yeah. this really actually kind of made me think. Like, I love that they talked about Gwen falling asleep on Belvoir, and then they showed Drizzt saying, Hey, do you understand the plan? You're going to go over there. Yeah? Yeah. All right. All right. Go, 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 go. Was he doing it the whole time? Like, was Gwen there? falling asleep on Belwar because she liked him. Yes. Or is it just what Driz was saying the whole oh, time man. saying, Hey, 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 go lay on him. And then he finally got wise to it and was like, you know right. what? I'm going to run you over with a grubber. That's what you get.
0: <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't put it past him.
1: Yeah. But I love yeah, that. Cause totally. again, this like this book interjects that humor a little bit like that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Well that, <laughs> I know we're running like way over on time here. So we still have the dungeon delve to get through, uh and let's our goodbyes. Go ahead and, let's, let's go ahead and jump into that and get this uh show like uh keep moving here.
1: <laughs> Excellent. So let's bring a little bit of energy into the dungeon delve because that is the part of the show where we link this week's reading with our favorite tabletop role-playing game. <laughs> yep. So, I, I I said before, we're going to continue on that same theme. My uh, my Dungeon Delph is the Polymorph spell. As we go through Chapter 14 of the book, we see the confrontation that they have with the wizard Brister Fendlestick. Excellent name, I by the way.
0: I love that name. Love that name.
1: <laughs> there are a couple of things in this part of the book, really, that I wanted to look at. But the main thing that jumped out at me here, besides Justin's Dungeon Delph, and I'll leave <laughs> that alone for him, was the amazing transformation from Petch to Hook Horror that we come across in Clacker. So now, what horrified mm-hmm. me yeah. was the thought, and it, it really ended up becoming my dungeon delve, was the condition that Clacker was stuck in.
0: Yeah.
1: Or more accurately, what had caused it. So we know Clacker used to be a petch, <clears throat> But the wizard, Brister Fendlestick, had changed him into a hook and killed his friends. We come across Clacker, and he's a, visibly a hook horror, Mm -hmm. but explains to our adventurers through halting speech that he is not what he appears to be. The wizard had changed him into what you see. How did this happen? What allows someone to change a creature against their will? They explain that the spell used is polymorph, so I had to Mm -hmm. look it up. Yep, totally. Polymorph is a fourth level level spell (laughs) from the transmutation school. It requires a wisdom save. The site mentioned that it lasts for an hour, but clearly, in the case of the book, we've got a wizard who's maybe doing some rogue experimentation. Oh,
0: totally. Absolutely. Maybe that's where all the acid came from.
1: Right? You don't from know, It probably was the wizard, at least. But like, you yeah. know that this guy is out here trying to push boundaries. Right, He's not Absolutely. doing yep. normal academic research. Totally. The range on this is about 60 feet, and it takes uh, one action to cast. The spell transforms a creature that you can see within range, that's 60 feet into a new form, such as a hook horror. Now, an unwilling creature, which is what we know the patch was, would have to save on a wisdom, se- uh, saving. A wisdom saving throw <laughs> in order to avoid the effect. The, uh, the spell right. also has no effect on a shape changer or a creature Ooh. with zero hit points. So if you're a shape-changer or if you're trying to polymorph a shape-changed creature, like a werewolf, you cannot force that creature to take a different form. Probably because, I mean, if you think about, like, the physics of a made-up realm, it already has control over its body that changes, so you can't use the spell to do that.
0: Oh, what would be fun, though, is if, like, if the caster didn't know that it was a shape-changer. Whoops. And it was like, ooh, I shape-changed, I polymorphed him into a sheep or whatever. Yep. And fail. then, like, all of a sudden, the sheep, like, a couple actions later, is just, like, whoop, back to whatever, you know. Oh, that's a fun way you know to know play I mean? it, where he
1: would just, right, he'd be back to whatever he wants to be, boom, to change Right, it's just it. like, minute, oh, it's a sheep, like,
0: you? the sheep is just, like, wandering around and, like, gets behind the wizard or something, and then, like, all right. of a sudden, like, boom, back into whatever it was, and yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, this would make sense when the, you think about it, how this works inside the book, because... When you think of a wizard, you'd imagine that his wisdom modifier is quite high. And I'm not trying to punch down at the pet race, but I imagine they're probably a bit lower on the scale. And, you know, Clacker found himself at quite a disadvantage when he failed his wisdom save against Brister Fendlestick. So for those of you not as familiar, what would happen there is that Brister Fendlestick would cast his Polymorph On Clacker, Clacker would take his d20 and he would roll trying to find out whether or not his wisdom save came in upon the wisdom modifier of Brister. So if Brister has a plus eight, that would give him, what, an 18? I think,
0: I think wizards are intelligence, aren't they?
1: I don't know. I was just trying to throw out the the thing, but you might actually be right. And it's uh, mechanics. Either way, either way, Polymorph might just be like a set DC. Oh, or is it the cat or is it the cat it it here that it had for the wisdom save? Now that's on the, uh, D and D, uh, fandom wiki or okay. the D and D beyond. Sorry. D and D beyond is where I was oh, no, looking be, for this yeah.
0: one. Huh? I'll but anywho.
1: Yeah. He would have to then roll his wisdom mod. So if a petch isn't very smart or doesn't have a lot of wisdom, let's say, cause smart can be taken two different ways. If right. the petch's wisdom is low, maybe it's a minus one. Now he's rolling okay. a 20 right. and he rolls a 10. He now has a nine. He'd have to beat that wizard's mod, and you would imagine that wizard's mod is probably at least a Probably pretty high, right? Most likely a 16 in and around that range. Probably higher if it's a high level wizard. Yeah, 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 totally. So, the transformation lasts for the duration or until the target drops to zero hit points or dies. The new form can be any beast whose challenge rating is equal to or less than the target's, or the target's level if there's no rating. The target's game statistics, including mental ability scores, are then replaced by the statistics of the chosen beast, and it retains its alignment and personality. These are key things that you huh. want to mention because of how the book plays off on that. The right. book keeps his alignment and, and uh, personality when he meets them. Yeah. The target assumes the hit points of its new form, that being the hook in this, much bigger than the pitch. And the creature will return to uh, its number of hit points it had before it transformed if it falls down to zero. If it, rever- if, if it reverts as a result of dropping to zero, then any excess damage carries over to its new form. Um, mm-hmm. As long as the excess damage doesn't reduce the creature's normal form to zero, it's not unconscious. So in this case, what I mean by that is the patch might have had hit points of, say, 15. Takes okay. damage. He's a 10 of 15. Gets changed into a hook horror. That hook horror maybe has a damage of 60 now. So its hit points would be 60.
0: Because oh. it transforms. It takes
1: on those statistics. If you're attacking that hook and you do 60 hit points of damage, it then right. reverts into the patch. Okay. But he's not unconscious. You're just a patch. If you do an additional 10 points, because that's what the patch had left before it transformed. So if you then did 70 hit points of damage... It would take the sixty that the hook horror had plus the ten remaining that the patch had. Right. Then it would be knocked unconscious. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yep, thought that was pretty huh. cool. So, so why this don't is they what...
0: just not? Why don't they just knock Clacker out?
1: Oh, that would be <laughs> funny. Yeah, I but don't again, know. again, right.
0: this is a weird polymorph spell. Right. The wizard is doing something different than whatever. 5- oh yeah, he is. And this is where yeah. we're gonna have to get
1: dark because. This is where the game and the book are a little askew. See, the book sees yeah. the Belwar explaining that the spell will eventually have Clacker lose his identity and fully become a yeah. hook
0: That's pretty cool, though.
1: Yeah, I'm, well, yes and no. <laughs> so when we meet Clacker, he still has his identity. As the spell explains, he has not lost his alignment, and this allows him to seem different to Drizzt. D&D would have this condition end in about an hour, but Mm R.A. Salvatore has used this spell in a horrifying way. Well, that's what I mean, cool. Like, a horrifying way. (laughs) Right, okay, okay. Almost like Brister is conducting medical experiments on races that he deems inferior. We're warned that humans are the most unpredictable of races by Belwar. He definitely doesn't understand their reasoning, but experimenting on Petch like this is really a nightmare scenario. Yeah. I feel like it would even shock the Drown just just a little, and I don't Probably. mean that like I'm saying they'd be against it. I'm just saying that they'd definitely take notice of it. Like, Ooh, did you hear what uh, Brister's doing over there in Cavern right. Seven? <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> I'm just—I've never—I've always seen Polymo- polymorph used more as a way to like get past guards or suspicious people. Maybe, you know, like a way for the adventurers to impersonate some big baddie so that they give the orders like his orders to his henchmen and they can get a little like work around so they don't have to fight or they can bust their friend out. You know, but to think that you're sitting there in a traveling cave tower. Right, and using this mobile medical pad to create magical experiments against unwilling creatures is perhaps one of the most horrifying things that I've come across in the D and world up to this point. At least in these books, Lich yeah. Kings and everything else will go much further. I promise. <laughs> However, <laughs> the darker side of humanity is definitely brought to the surface just a little bit because we always have because we have real examples in our history where we have experimented on people who were unable mm-hmm. to stop it. And the results were, I guess yeah. more often than not, can't say always, right. Always horrifying for humanity. So to right. see it echoed in literature like this was its just a little bit shocking to me as well. So I just yeah. could not get off of this, this, this clacker and the, the transportation to the oh, yeah, oak. This whole thing was my dungeon delve and my, my deep dive. Cause I just couldn't, <laughs> it struck such a chord in me where I was like, Wow, we've got humor in this book, and then in part three, right in the middle, Ari Salvatore really goes in there and just daggers you in the in the feelings totally. Like-
0: Totally. Yuck, Yuck
1: was something that was just hard to swallow because of how it went down. You I know, you like go this through this is all almost these other worse. Ones. Worse, <laughs> because you're watching him lose his innocence. Yeah. That little I am patch. You know, he wants to yeah. smile and talk in a cute little Teletubby voice. And just but it's kind of being like, driven. Turning. Yeah,
0: yes. being driven mad slowly
1: over yes. the course of Yes, and the worst part days, is, cause... when you meet this wizard, he doesn't have a plan. No. So no, you know so what chaotic. He's... Yes, what he's doing is just like, well, it's a Tuesday. Oh, hello little wandering petch. Come on in. And decides to just go nuts and kill yeah. all of them and like, oh, except for this one. This one I'll turn into a giant monstrosity. Yeah. Oh, you go, little petch. <laughs> I'm going to go over here to the river. Like, and then we meet him he's foraging for mushrooms or something crazy on the right. side, yelling about whatever while he's talking to himself. But yeah. meanwhile, the petch is over there going through like just the slowest, most cruelest way. To lose yourself it's like it's like dementia where it takes right, away your totally. cognizant thought but slowly like right. while you're aware of it like ah, that's <sighs> wild
0: and i mean like this isn't the only like th- this is dark this is creepy but it's not the only dark creepy moment in this part of the book and that leads no. me into my dungeon delve uh this week it comes from chapter 12 and at one point in the chapter belwar and drizd stumble upon this pool of acid right Belwar and Drizzt both associate acids, like I said, with wizards.
1: I like to think that they have this moment. That's like a lethal weapon movie. If you've ever seen it, where like Riggs looks at and they're both like acid, acid, wizard, <laughs> wizards. And then they just go <laughs> off to go get the wizard. Like, yeah, yum. totally.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they both, they both associate this with <laughs> wizards. It's probably just a wizard's experiment going wrong. Like we said before, and perhaps it, um, and perhaps it was, but as they were crossing over this lake of acid, there came an ominous chant over the fumes. Doom, doom, doom. Or probably more like, doom, doom, you know, like more like bird style. I don't know. There I you go. You should I... remix
1: that for it when we come into this for the sound, just so we can get you in the background. Doom, doom. And then you can bring in the, doom, doom, <laughs> doom, <laughs> doom, 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 doom. doom. <laughs> People will be driving on their way to work with this and then suddenly get the, the uh, Doom remix. It'll be great. Someone,
0: someone put that remix together.
1: <laughs> Stitch us on TikTok. Tag us. We'll find you.
0: <laughs> so then these creatures emerged. They were like bird-like humanoids. I think they were even described almost like drow-like in some ways as well. Uh, they have long clawed hands and feet. Dire Corby's. I don't remember ever hearing about Cori's before, so I had to look them up. Uh, so the earliest published item that contained dire Corby's that I could find was in Fiend Folio in 1981. It was written by Don Turnbull uh, and published by TSR, Tactical Strategy Rules. Uh, the book was essentially a monster manual. And fun fact: the book also debuted the Githyanki as a race, which is has grown um, very popular. With, what is a um, Githyanki? A Githyanki. It's like a, I don't even know how to describe them. It's a humanoid, like. Um, but it, it, it's grown very popular uh, with the release of Baldur's Gate three. Um, okay. The, the Baldur's Gate, uh, Gate game that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of like have greenish skin. They don't look orcish, but they have like their noses are kind of. Oh, interesting looking. They have long pointy ears, sort of, I don't know. So,
1: so they, they like have like goblin-esque features?
0: Almost, almost, but I I don't know. I think they they originated in the Astral Plane, I believe. Huh. Um but yeah, I I didn't look them up. But they did debut in this same um <clears throat> issue of uh the Fiend Folio. Uh, yes. That the Corbys did. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, in fact, the Githyanki race was illustrated on the cover of this book. And apparently that's what helped them gain so much traction in the D&D world. So I'm just like, well, what if they just put the Corbys on the front? But, oh well. Uh, they these weird <clears throat>
1: mutations of these half man, half bird things that can't fly.
0: Well, no yeah, way. but I mean I'm like... I'm sure get-
1: they look aesthetically <laughs> stunning. <laughs> so, but Githyanki, like, if
0: they weren't on the cover, like, I don't know, would they have gained as much traction? I don't know. Anyway, it appears that Corby's ha- do have more of a presence in Pathfinder. Okay. Uh, and less in D&D. Uh, so, I couldn't find any official stat blocks in, the, in my books anyway. And online, it was kind of tough to find as well. I did find a number of homebrewed ones. Uh, so, dire Corbys are described as subterranean predators that resemble humanoid crows with muscular arms and fearsome claws. Uh, though they make their cliffside homes on the walls of underground chasms, where they climb and leap with death-defying agility, they are most frequently encountered in the tunnels where they wait to ambush prey, leaping down from the ceiling to rend and tear. Dire Corbys are intelligent, but have little use for society outside (laughs) of the rough squabbling pecking order of their rookeries i like that because they're like crows rooks right uh where their social order is little better uh than that of the mundane birds that they resemble along with their near suicidal savagery right (laughs) uh with their um uh, with which they launch themselves into combat, Dire corbies are known for their terrifying screeches, songs of doom capable of unsettling, even experienced explorers, which, yeah, would totally terrify me. Uh, in addition to being savage predators, Dire corbies are also notorious cannibals when it comes to their young and a mother Dire Corby. A mother dire Corby, must carefully defend her eggs, lest a flock of males from the same rookery descend on her nest and devour the unborn children in a flurry of yolk and blood.
1: God, oh, it sounds horrible It's terrible. <laughs> I mean we see that a lot in the animal kingdom in real oh life. yeah, but that yep. just sounds horrible when they say a yep. flurry of yolk and blood.
0: yeah, no, I know like uh growing up on a farm, we used to get chickens every once in a while. And, um, like we didn't always have chickens, but once in a while, some of the chickens would learn to eat their eggs and I don't know, like once they learn to do it, they like it. And so like, you need to make sure you go out there first thing in the morning to gather the eggs or else they'll eat them. I don't like, I don't it's know. crazy. Birds are crazy. Birds are crazy. <laughs> uh, so this ultimately counterproductive tendency only further supports the impression most races have of dire Corbies as dangerous, unbalanced beings. And may even explain um, why the creatures remain relatively rare. Uh, so I looked online. Again, I found some homebrewed blocks. Um, they seemed a little underwhelming. Especially since these creatures almost killed Drizzt and Belwar, right? Uh, the only one that I found... Or the one that I found had an armor class of, a, of 11. Which might make sense because they're not like heavily armored creatures but they also only had 11 hit points um so i'll link the homebrew to this creature um i'll link this homebrew into the creature feature on the discord so you can check it out uh but i would encourage our listeners to submit your own dire corby stat block if you have one or or make one if you don't right because this one just seems a little dinky but anyway
1: that's now, my dungeon delve. Sorry, go ahead. No, and I think you're right, but I also think that, like, I mean, they didn't defeat, or almost defeat Driz, because of their prowess in battle. They did it with overwhelming numbers, trying to suffocate that's true. him, and, and the and willingness also, to dive off a high place with a Just their
0: suicidal tendencies,
1: yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's really true. all it was. So true. it wasn't like he, I mean, he was chopping and lopping, right, going through oh, yeah. there, like one of those uh, no, infomercials that's where it slices and dices and even makes uh, dire <laughs> Corby Julian fries, but... No, that's they a good presented point. no real challenge other than their numbers and the the, the craziness the zealous right. with which they approach
0: no suicidal- i didn't think about that but yeah no that's a totally good point so i'll post i'll post that on the creature feature uh and uh yeah you guys let us know if you would change anything to that but that's gonna do it for this episode thank you all for listening remember that if you like this show give us a five-star rating also, make sure you get the most out of this podcast. Pick up a copy of the book and read along with us. Remember, if you don't have time to read, you can always get the audiobook and listen to it during your commute, while you're at work, at the gym, wherever you are. And when you've read the next part, make sure to shoot us an email at drizzdunright at gmail.com or log on to the Discord to join in on the ongoing discussion there. Remember, we would love to hear from you.
1: The final bell tolls somewhere out there in the distance, friends. And that lets us know that this episode is nearing its end. I feel like it's a great place to remind you that if you'd like to donate to this podcast, we do have a link. It's uh, inside near the uh, episode description. It says support this podcast. We take everything that we get through there and invest it to give you guys a better show. Maybe you've noticed that the uh, advertisement that just came up in the show, just part (laughs) of us growing, getting bigger. And, you know, we're happy. We're so happy to have you all along for the ride. Anything and everything that you give is always appreciated. We thank you so much just for giving us your time. Totally. Speaking of, well, that's it for this time. So until the next time, it's time to say farewell, friends. Be fair or play fair. Be well. <laughs>